Let's be honest. How many times have you chalked up a relationship ending to bad timing? For hosts Nancy and PJ Heslin, the answer is a lot. It took living separately in Canada, the U.S., and France, two divorces, and 20 years for timing to work out. And when it finally did in the south of France, the couple discovered they had two different versions of their love story. We all do, right? But what if your side is not the whole story, and you have the journals to prove it? Keep listening to Nancy and PJ Finally Get Together, a podcast on love, relationships, and two lives in between. This episode is brought to you by the Podcast Services Division at Lifestuff Media. Having your own podcast allows you to creatively reach all types of audiences, from clients to prospects, to your most loyal membership base. And by utilizing studio affiliates located around the world, coupled with quality remote recording capabilities, Lifestuff Media makes having a corporate podcast easier than ever before. Contact us for a no-obligation consultation at info at lifestuff.com or visit lifestuff.com to learn more. Welcome to episode 13 of Nancy and PJ Finally Get Together. I'm Nancy Heslin. And I'm PJ Heslin, who's being very cold in the south of France. I don't like it. It shouldn't be this cold. I almost have to wear a sweater. Boo. I'm almost uncomfortable. (laughs) We're so spoiled living here. We've had two days of sort of gray, cloudy weather. It's not even that bad. But we're both like, all right, enough. Enough. Well, actually, the, the country is in... A, a state of drought and there's water restrictions and we've had rain for three days, which is great. Yeah. And the temperatures are lower so that it's actually going to be absorbed into the earth. And it's not comfortable for PJ though. <laughs> but you were saying to me the other day about how it's, uh, hopefully this will help for the, you said something about cycling and fountains or something. I didn't even know what you were talking about. Yeah. Cause it's, as you know, they've got the drought, they call it the Sechereth here. So there's a town every sort of kilometer, or sorry, every 10 kilometers from each other here in France. So when you're biking, it's really nice because you can just, it not only is it beautiful because you see a new scenic little beautiful town, but there's always a water fountain in the middle of every town. You just fill up your bike bottle and off you go. And it's nice, cold spring water. But since last summer, they've had them all turned off. So you have to either go buy into a store and buy some plastic uh, bottle of water, which is not environmentally friendly, or what I like to do is just order coffee and then ask the guy, okay, oh, can I get some water as well? How does that go, PJ, when you ask for water? In Je voudrais une bouteille de l'eau, s'il vous plaît. And then the guy just turned his back on you? Yeah, because he's like, um, nice try, English guy. Do people think you're British? Uh, I get, yeah, because the biggest uh, tourists here uh, that are English-speaking are British. So everybody always assumes that I'm British. And I will never, ever, ever, ever pass for a French person. As much as I love living here and as much as I believe that I am uh, acculturated here, well, I will you are, never be a French person. For a fr- yeah, well, I'm French legally a French person by, my, by a passport I have, but I will never be mistaken for one. And I don't say that with pride. I say that with shame. Do you get frustrated because you're a really smart guy? And your French is actually very, your comprehension is great. You can read in French, you can write in French, you understand French, you can speak French, but your accent is bad. Do you find it frustrating that people are so dismissive when you try to talk to them? No, not really. Because I just assume they just, because it is such a high tourist area, 
I just assume that they think, oh, yeah, the guy's just visiting. So it, I know it frustrates you. I know you get so sort of angry when it's like, I've got a tourist. I've been to the- but people don't have that reaction because at least I have a, an accent that sounds reasonably French. Yes, but you still get sort of annoyed when people assume that you're a tourist because you've done it. You've, when we walk into a shop or something and they speak English, you're like, in, I, you even say, you're like, you don't say it to them. You're not rude, but you're like, oh, they, why, would you think, why would they think I'm a tourist? I thought I was just complaining because the French lack the customer service that mm. is friendly and welcoming. Mm. There's always that, but that's a whole other subject. So today, PJ, what is our subject? Our subject is when is the moment in life you felt most out of control? Most out of control. And for me, it could be right now because I decided not to row this morning and I have the French championships in five days, but I looked at the weather. It's supposed to rain. The wind levels were in a red zone. And I thought, I'm not going to go down there because my team's not able to row together today. I I just didn't do it. And now I've looked out my window. And guess what? Everybody's rowing. So I'm feeling a little out of control at the moment. And the person who's really going to suffer is me because all day (laughs) I'm going to hear, I should have rowed. Why didn't I row? Yeah, I have a a problem letting go. You should have made me row, row. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it'll never be as bad as when you (sighs) ran the marathon and I was injured and I was like, you're not allowed to run. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I couldn't run a marathon because you couldn't run. It's not that bad, but I will spend the day beating myself up for not rowing and doing other exercise instead. Anyway, PJ, when do you recall being a moment in life that you felt really that life wasn't working out or the way you'd planned or just you were out of control? It was out of control. That would be probably outside of divorce because that's more like your life has crumbled in falling apart but you also feel a lot of control what are the rules for this well let's say like um i don't know a life event or it could be just you know in young adulthood when you're trying to figure things out or yeah maybe a divorce or something just doesn't work out and you know you've got your life planned doesn't go accordingly and you don't know what you're doing anything i mean i think i have to sort of narrow it down to different decades because there was definitely 20s, there's a definite feeling of being out of control that was different than 30s, 40s. Have you ever had an anxiety attack? I don't, I mean, I don't have, I've never had an anxiety attack, but I constantly feel, as you know, a sense of dread almost every day. What? Um, yeah. I like don't it, think so. You're so perky and happy. It's annoying. But I always think disaster is one event away from happening. Like, for what example, are you talking about? Almost every year that when the new school year starts, I, I have a lot of anxiety about that because I always think, oh, I'm, I don't know if I'm prepared enough and what's going to happen this year. And, and then it's fine. It's like. It's so job things. anxiety you're talking about. Yes. I have a lot of, I would say a lot of work anxiety. Your family life was so chaotic from a young age. You didn't feel, even as a kid, did you ever have like as issues? A- yeah, as a kid, like I used to worry about, I'd get the test anxiety as a small kid. And I would just, it was nuts. It'd be like a stupid spelling test. And I would, I literally would lose sleep at night because I was so worried about this spelling test, but I was prepared and I did well in school. And then I gradually sort of that doing well in school and realizing that your world will not end uh, because of a spelling test sort of made that anxiety go away. But the uncertainty of like some of your home situation, like because your parents got divorced and, you know, your family adopted four kids. So there was 
all of a sudden life changes, like stuff like that. You just kind of rolled with the punches. Yeah. And even as a young kid, I mean, all those, certainly the big changes, like, you know, when my parents split up and then we moved and didn't really have a home, <laughs> but we did because of my grandparents. I was just like, yeah, whatever, cool, whatever. Um, and I think for me, one of the biggest events of my life was just going to camp, sleepaway camp when I was a kid. Uh, I was like, I think it was seven or eight, eight, probably eight, going to camp back on. Didn't want to go, was quite nervous about it, really, really didn't want to go. Went and it was one of the best experiences of my life. So I ended up going there till I was 14 years old. Then I worked there until I was... 22 or so. And that taught me a valuable life lesson, which was, look, this was a big, big, you know, thing that you didn't want to do big change. And it was a wonderful experience. I thought when you went to camp the first time you wanted to go home. That was, so the very, very, very first camp I ever went to, which was a hockey camp. My dad actually lied about my age because I was so young. He lied about my age to get me into this little, it was Bobby Orr's hockey haven. (laughs) Uh, uh, in near uh, near Halliburton, mm. and uh, yeah, and I was seven. Most of the kids were eight slash nine, and they hated me because I was younger, smaller than the, all the rest of them. Nobody wanted me on their team. That's all we did. You had a at the in seven o'clock in the morning. You scrimmaged, played hockey for an hour at this uh, hockey arena. Then you went back. Most of the kids would play ball hockey. I would sit in my cabin and read comics and sulk. And then back seven o'clock in the evening, play hockey for an hour, hour and a half. And like I said, every single kid there hated me. (laughs) They even would tell me we were playing hockey. Like my own team members would skate up to me and be like, we hate you. You suck. You're so bad. But were you sleeping at this camp? Yeah, it was a sleepaway camp. I was there for a week. Just one week. But what, what is the memory I have of a story you shared where you were went to, I thought it was Camp Econ, where you went and you were there for a couple of weeks or something. You didn't want to, you wanted to go home like the first night. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't the first night because uh, I distinctly remember not you know, having that anxiety of going to camp. Then that first day was awesome. It was just because it, was, it wasn't a hockey camp. <laughs> Nobody was spitting at me saying that I sucked. <laughs> it was actually, it was fun. It was events, things that I like to do. So it was adapted. It was a camp that was adapted to me, which I liked. I did, I remember when um, Parents' Day was coming up, that was the first, so every Saturday they'd have a Parents' Day. So my mom was having my youngest sister and she literally just sent us all the way for the summer. So two of my sisters went to England for to stay with distant relatives. My other sister is still traumatized by that event. And so my brother and I were sent to Camp Econ for the entire summer. And I still had that hockey camp thing going. So I was full of anxiety going to that. And yeah, the first I remember the first Saturday was the parents' day. And I remember distinctly telling a counselor, thinking, and I wasn't really homesick, but I was just thinking, yeah, okay, you know, I'm enjoying myself, but uh, yeah, maybe it's time to go home. And I, th- I was thinking, I was, oh, when mom comes up, I'll probably go home with her. And I don't even, I don't think she came that Saturday. But anyway, uh, it, anyway, the counselor said to me, he was like, well, why would you go home? You're having fun. Like, just think about like what you're doing right now. And if you're enjoying it and then, you know, when your parents come up or if your parents do come up, 
uh, yeah, make a decision then. So yeah, that was the advice I took. And when mom came up, it was, when, I don't think she came up that Saturday. She eventually came up during the rest of the summer. And it was, yeah, I was like, I'm staying, I'm here. You, you went for the whole summer? Yes. Out of curiosity, what happened with your clothes? Like, did you wash your clothes? I mean, you're pretty no, young. No, it was disgusting. I mean, it was, this was, I mean, you, none of the other kids were there for the entire summer, just my brother and I. My brother probably did wash his clothes somehow because he was older than me and a more civilized human being. But I was eight and I don't recall ever washing a single piece of clothing. I mean, there was no, you didn't even have laundry facilities there. The, the, I'm sure the staff did, but we kids didn't. You didn't even have a shower. Like what we did is on the Sunday, you'd run into the lake, and then you'd lather up with soap, and the counselors would dump uh, the lake water on your head uh, when you're on the land because you didn't want to contaminate the lake with soapy water. And then that was how you bathed. You So that was eight weeks of that's how I kept clean. So much is making sense to me right now. And I, so much. In conjunction with that, I do not recall brushing my teeth that summer. Oh, <laughs> oh PJ knows that dental hygiene is such a big thing. I can't even watch a Western. Because when I watch a Western and at the end the couple comes together, I can't imagine a woman kissing a cowboy who hasn't showered but has not brushed or flossed his teeth in months or ever. It just grosses me out. So I won't think about that one, Paige. I'll just have to let that go. Do you think you have a good coping mechanism with the unknown? Yeah, I think I do. Uh, you know, whenever I, I, I do, do get some sense of anxiety when change is about to happen or I worry about the future or worry about change or whatever. But to me, it always goes back to Camp Econ because it was... I, I was really anxious about going there. I was quite young. I really had no choice in the situation because I was a child. And it was the best experience of my little life. So anytime there's a big change, I always think about that. Of like, uh, it sounds ridiculous, but I always think, well, that worked out when I was eight. And that was a great experience. So <laughs> Why <you> not? Know, <laughs> this will probably be. And I definitely think that that's influenced my whole life. Even just coming here. That was not, you know. If I, even at the time when I stepped back from it, I was thinking, okay, so you just got divorced and you're going to go uh, see this woman and maybe stay in France. Uh, this does not sound like a good idea. But I, I always had that in the back of my head of like, well, every new experience usually is some great adventure that you get something out of it. So I did it. You're the most level-headed, balanced person I think most people have ever met. But we always talk about that as well. You know, we'll, because you do that as well. Tread carefully, me, PJ. No, you'll say like, <laughs> there, worrying's not going to fix anything. Worrying's not going to. And it, I think it's good to ruminate on it and to think about the possibilities and weigh your options and even be a little anxious about what might happen. But yeah, I always have your uh, voice in my head of like, well, if you Worrying about it's not going to change anything. It's not going to solve the situation. So why worry about it? It's funny when you talk about, you know, being a kid and being stressed out about writing a test and things. I can remember before grade two, because I was living in the first house we were at, I can remember I would sleep in my clothes for school the next day because I was always so worried about being late for anything. I was quite 
like uptight for a little kid. And um, it's funny that I now as an adult go back and look at all of those things in my life and how I wanted everything to always be in control because reading for this particular episode, uh, I've come into a period of my life where I started having anxiety and I didn't even know until just kind of doing some research now on it, what anxiety was. When I started having an anxiety attack, I was 25 years old. I was back in PEI uh, on the East coast of Canada for my second summer working at a summer language program. And I was responsible for taking um, a group of the students that were at the summer language program to the musical Anne of Green Gables. I felt the lights dimming, but I already was starting to have difficulties breathing. It was a bit heavy, the air, you know, maybe there was air conditioning, I don't know, but I didn't know what was happening to me, but I felt my chest pounding. And one of the guys I worked with said to me, maybe you should go outside and get some fresh air. By the time I walked outside, I, I thought I was having a heart attack. It wasn't even just that my heart was pounding and felt in my throat. I, I felt like when I was blinking, something was wrong. And I lay on the cold sidewalk. And it was the first time this has ever happened. And I remember so clearly lying on that sidewalk, looking up and passerbys looking down at me as if I was, you know, crazy or drunk or something. I don't know. But fortunately, my, my colleague was with me and he was telling people, you know, she's fine. And he held my hand and he just said, you know, you're having an anxiety attack. And I had no idea what an anxiety attack was. And it was one of those things, you know, at that time, we didn't talk about anything like that, mental health stuff. I couldn't go back to the dorm where I was working and Google anxiety attack. He just said, you know, just work on your breathing, try breathing. So I kind of calmed down. I didn't go back in for the, for the performance, but about a week later, and again, I remember this clearly, I was at lunch. We were having lunch in the cafeteria. And I was having a disgusting plate of those nachos from a machine with the cheesy, yucky stuff, sauce on it, which is gross, right? I mean, even by your standards, PJ, that's pretty gross. Yeah. And again, I started feeling this, like these palpitations and my breathing was much more difficult to maintain. Evenly, this time I really thought I was having a heart attack. I didn't think it was anxiety. So I was taken to the emergency ward um, in Charlottetown at the hospital. And the doctor asked me, a few questions about, you know, what was going on. And he, he assured me I was not having a heart attack, but it was stress and anxiety. And did, did he ask you if you had seen a musical just before the panic attack? Because that would give me anxiety. The fact of having to sit through musical would incite a panic attack in me. That's not true because I see the things that you watch on TV and there's a lot of singing going on in some of those shows. Like what? That uh, My Girlfriend show. That was years ago. That show was just on. That was years ago. Anyway, uh, yeah, he did not ask me about the musicals, PJ, but he just sort of pointed to what could be stressful in my life. And I said, what isn't stressful in my life? You know, I just no idea what I was going to do for work after PEI. I had tracked the guy down in PEI that was apparently my boyfriend and had never showed up to Quebec. Um, It was just all of that stuff of feeling so out of control. I don't know. If people listening have ever felt like everything's crumbling, and if you're a controlling person like I am, it was very difficult to slide and let let go. I was holding on with everything I could. So was that PEI guy there then? So he was there, but he wasn't working in the program. We had eventually spoken, and I had asked him if I should come back. (laughs) 
And he didn't say no. So because he didn't say no, I went, you know, but when I look at how he worded it, I probably shouldn't have gone. But, you know, say like, okay, yeah, something like that. Sure. But I knew he he had a different job. But yeah, you know me, I can unless you specifically say no, even if you specifically say no, there'll be a knock on the door later. Are you talking about me? Yes. Don't come over. It's late. Knock, knock, knock. It's not me, PJ. You're thinking of someone else. Because I didn't really know at the time what anxiety was, I wanted to research it a little bit for the show. Because unless you've had anxiety and you realize how debilitating it can be, um, it's, it's a shocking experience. So I looked it up. The Anxiety and Depression Association of America. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental health concern in the U.S. Over 40 million adults in the U.S., 19.1%, have an anxiety disorder. They also affect 31.9% of teenagers between 13 and 18, which seems like a a lot. Everyone experiences stress and anxiety at one point or another. The difference between them is that stress is a response to a threat in a situation, and anxiety is a reaction to stress. I'll say that again. The difference between them is that stress is a response to a threat in a situation. Anxiety is a reaction to stress. So here is an example. During COVID, between mid-February and mid-March of 2020, the first year in the U.S., the use of anti-anxiety medications increased by 34.1% on 21 million people polled. This is according to a Newsweek article. So the anxiety is that people are reacting to the stress of COVID, which everybody's lives changed during that period. Nobody could work properly. You were at home more with family or more alone. And all of stress and anxiety develop from factors like um, genetics, brain chemistry, personality, and life events. So for me, obviously, at that point in my life in 1994, my life events were that it was just a change and I couldn't accept change because I had no idea and I wasn't comfortable going into the unknown. But the curious thing I found about this page is that looking at all the, the stuff about anxiety, in most countries that I looked at statistics, women suffer more, or it's reported that women struggle more with anxiety. So in the UK, from the Mental Health Foundation, in 2022-23, an average of 37.1% of women and 29.9% of men reported high levels of anxiety. And this was up, you know, almost 50% from the years 2012-2015. So PJ, why do you think, in most of the statistics that I was looking at, why do you think that women struggle more with anxiety and, and that type of stress? I think it's because even though there's a lot more equality nowadays and a lot more enlightenment in society, I still think it's very, very difficult for women to navigate in, in society and to be successful in society. I still think there's a lot of prejudices and uh, bias that women face and backlash that women face. And even just on a daily basis, as a guy, like guys have no idea, A, how creepy they are just being normal guys and what women go through. So I was talking to a friend of mine and she was talking about how she dreads coming on the train to work every day because if she's by herself and it's early in the morning, she's guaranteed that some creepy guy is going to try to come on to her and speak to her and make her life uncomfortable. So she has to sort of adopt this, you know, just stare down at the floor, blinders on, go through. Whereas most guys, we don't, that's not an anxiety for us. We don't have to worry about taking the subway to work 
And are we going to be sexually harassed? Well, let's go back into our story. So it's the summer of 1994. We've known each other for four years. I have moved back to Toronto, but I'm just heading out to the East Coast to, um, as I said, to see this guy and to, I had a job, so I wanted to follow through on that. At least it gave me a little bit of money coming in. But when I go to see PJ in June, before I head out East, I was feeling actually quite confident. I mean, I knew that there was a lot of uncertainty, but I wasn't completely falling apart. And so we're going to look at two entries this time. One is right when I see him before I leave. And one is six weeks later when I, <laughs> when I um, am literally, my, my brain is just melting down. So this first one is June 22nd, 1994. So if memory serves me correctly, I was living near Bloor and St. George in that big sort of high-rise apartment building. So is that the one that you moved the sofa by yourself? Yes. Right. Yeah. Beautiful balcony that in Toronto you could only use for two months out of the year. Um, seeing PJ Saturday was crazy. I have no idea what's running through his head. Um, usually what's running through my head is I'm hungry. When can I have a snack? Uh, he wouldn't open up or talk for that matter. I'd really hoped to let it all out, but there was this wall. He was being so sweet and so much of the real PJ that I'm sorry that I miss, but then he just turned into the cold man and I was not up to making myself completely vulnerable. It's always such a question of timing. I know that it will come together in the fall. There is no way his feelings have changed. He is still the same as when he called me after France. I'm sure that when he was taking that shower, why was I taking a shower if you were? Because I think you were doing stand-up and a lot of the times you would be going out later at night. And suddenly get dirty or something. Well, clearly you've already mentioned that showering and cleanliness isn't a big thing. Hey, this date's going really well. Excuse me. I'm just going to have a shower. I'll be back. Um, Anyway, I took that shower. He was feeling weirded out because we love each other and he knows that I'm ready to meet him halfway. And I'm sure what's even stranger for him is that I'm emotionally stable and he, (laughs) yeah, you're really emotionally stable. Uh, And he hasn't seemingly seen me like that before. It was so intense being with him. It's that love, it's that love thing. It's not a question of first seeing each other and the physical side. It's that intensity that we've had from the first day we met. I'm looking forward to seeing him for, uh, for more than one night and getting to know each other. He seems to be going through a blah stage in his life. Uh, I guess time will tell again. So this is uh, six weeks later. Uh, I'm in PEI and trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. Um, so yeah, six weeks later from seeing me. What's and the date? This is the 1st of August, 1940, 1944. Time traveler. Those dirty Japanese. We're going to get them. 1st uh, of August, 1994. Well, here I am at the guy from PEI's place. Well, you really were in love with PJ, right? couple weeks after seeing him and PEI guy, you're in his arms. Oh boy. Uh, I really have no idea what to write. I'm so blocked that everything is out of touch. I want to travel forever, but what will that grant me? I will still miss the people I'm missing now. But at the same time, these people probably will never be in my life. Actually, I know those people will not be there. Well, aren't you a cheery little thing, huh? Maybe they'll all be dead, huh, Nance? Keep reading. Little Sally Sunshine. (laughs) You wonder why sometimes I was like, could you just get out of my apartment? I'm having severe anxiety attacks and it scares the crap out of me. As far as the future, I can't even see past the next minute. I don't know what to do. I just want to be me again. I want to wake up every day and feel that sensation of living again. 
Knowing who I am, believing in myself. I don't even know that's possible anymore. Who am I? Who am I? I don't even know. I mean, am I the girl who likes PJ or the girl who likes PEI guy? I don't know. Right. And that's enough for this episode. Drama. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe to our podcast and share the link with friends. We want to create a real-life love story movement. This podcast is a spin-off of our manuscript, Nancy and PJ Learn French. Check out nancyandpj.com to find out more. Thanks to Alyssa, Dustin, and Isaac at Lifestuff Media. In our next episode, after her summer in PI comes to an abrupt end, Nancy finds herself back in Toronto indefinitely, anxiety in tow. Meanwhile, a lucky break for PJ is a career game changer. <laughs>